you're either guided by, by the Holy Spirit and, and God in your life, or you're being guided by in the ways of Satan, the ways of the world. And it's so cool as I thought about it that at the moment you gave your life to God, Satan trembled and had to flee. And in your heart, you were guided by, by the ways of Satan. You were, he was the leader of your life. And then when you asked God to come and to save you, you literally asked God to, to dwell in your heart. And he's the only one that can live there. And so Satan had to tremble at the name of Jesus. So y'all sing this song.
God, you loved us enough to send your son to die and, and pay the price that we couldn't. God, I pray that you would fill this place with your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would speak so clearly to each and every one of us. God, I pray that you would, God, that you would heal the hearts that are broken. God, save the marriages that are on, that feel like they're in the end. I pray, God, today that you would break addictions in people's hearts, God. Lord, I pray that as Dad gives the word, I pray, God, that every word that comes out of his mouth comes straight from yours. God, thank you for what you're going to do in and through us today. In Jesus' name, I pray. Have your Bible open up to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. I know Cody just prayed. I just want to pray again if you don't mind. <clears throat> Lord, I love you, and I just thank you so much for the opportunity and the freedom, uh, Lord, just to be here with your people today, to uh, hopefully, God, just to, to be here in a way that we honor you, Lord. It's not about us or what we can get out of this, God, but just, uh, just to acknowledge who you are, all you've done for us, Lord, your goodness and your mercy. Your grace in our life, God, is to uh, pray that we wouldn't just go through the motions of another church service. And um, God, you would do a work in us today, um, one to change my heart and every person here. Lord, we, we get content with where we are. We get focused on this world and things of it. And, um, and then we give you 10 minutes on Sunday and think everything's great. God, I just pray that today would be different, and um, Lord, that your word would speak, and God, that um, your people would respond. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. You know, it's easy to get into a ritual, and uh, you know, just to go to church, whether you're preaching, or whether you're just sitting and listening, or whatever you do, and you know, you do that long enough, it gets old, and uh, you start looking and going... You know, is there, is there something more to this? And um, guess where I'm at is just to ask you to uh, to listen this morning. Maybe maybe even jot a note down or two and to search this beyond the message. I believe that this is a, a um, I hope it's a powerful message from God's Word. Don't matter who delivers it, it's not about who's delivering it. But really been wrestling, it seems like, these last couple of weeks, putting together messages. And, and just so you know, me or no, nobody else who preaches, just we don't look on the Internet or, or just put something together to make three points in a poem. We really try to seek the Lord for what He has for us and for you. And, and here's why, man, if you, <clears throat> if you just come to church, you go to church all these years, and you never change. There's nothing in you that's causing you to seek God, to live by faith, to pursue what God has for your life, to, to 
to apply the things that are being you know, taught out of God's Word. I really don't see no point being here. If you want to know the truth, all I'm going to do is come preach a message and go to the house. I just soon stay at the house, you know. And, and I would I would say the same thing to you. If you're not seeking the Lord to change your life, then you're it's pointless. And, and I'm not about going through ritual. And, and I'm constantly want to seek the Lord to go, Lord. You know, I believe God has great things. In, in my life, I believe God has great things in your life. I believe God has great things for this church. But I believe, you know, there's a lot of changes that, that could and need to take place if we're going to see that. I think there's a lot of people sitting here that need to be renewed and revived and have your eyes open to see the God you used to serve and be excited about. I think God desires to ignite a fire in your heart for you to take God's word for what it says and quit excusing it away so that your life fits the culture of this godless nation we live in. You know, that's where I'm at. And so as you listen this morning, I pray that you'd listen, not not just to me, but if God speaks to your heart, listen to what he says. Looking in Luke chapter 10, you know, when the Bible speaks of a lawyer, because it starts off and we're going to be starting off in verse 20, I think it's 20, hold on a second, 25, all right. In verse 25. And it says, Behold a certain lawyer. Now when it speaks of a lawyer, it's not talking about a lawyer like we have. It's talking about a man who was a, uh, who was a teacher or a student, a studier of the law of God. Okay, A religious person, a leader of their days. So this certain lawyer, he stood up. Jesus was in this crowd. And he tested him. He was, trying to, he was always trying to catch Jesus in something, saying something wrong so they would have something to show and accuse him of. And he said, teacher, notice the question and how he approaches this question. Teacher, what must I, underline your Bible, what must I do, I do, to inherit eternal life? And so that's the question and the way that he presents it. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading? What is your interpretation of it? So he answered and he said, you shall love the Lord your God with... Notice this, and I'm, I'm going to get detailed with you today and kind of teach what I'm going to preach. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered right. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus... And who is my neighbor? I'm going to stop right there for just a second and we'll, we'll pick it up. But, but I want you to notice, you know, that, I believe that's a question a lot of people, especially who, who come to church, is a question is the main point of us seeking out God, or actually God seeking out us. Because when you die, you don't just die and go back to the dirt. You didn't come from a monkey. Okay, you didn't come from a rock and then, then oozed and then an animal and you developed into what you are today. You're not a modern day animal, even though our culture acts like that because they've been taught that. You were created by a God who loves you in, in His image. And you'll live forever. One or two places, heaven or hell, you're going to live forever in heaven or you're going to live forever in hell. One or two places, understand that. <coughs> and so I don't think anybody just, if, if they're in, in their right mind... I don't think anybody would say, oh, you know, I'm looking forward to going to hell. You know, they might, have a, they might believe a lie about, about hell in their own mind. And they made it up to be, oh, me and my buddies, and we're going to drink and have a great time in hell. No, no, if you end up in hell, it's, it's not going to be that. I promise you that. It's not going to be that. It's going to be the most, most horrific experience anybody can't even imagine. So I don't think anybody would purposely go, if you look at the Bible, see what the Bible says about hell, go, yeah, I'm good with going to hell. I think everybody would say, I, I, would, I would love to have eternal life. You know, I'm not talking about floating around in clouds and playing a harp. I'm talking about a biblical eternal life where we live and we have family and where, we, you know, it's going to be on a new earth where God re- restores everything and makes all things new. You're going to be in a physical body. Heaven's going to be amazing. You know, you're going to have a physical body one or two places. And so in that, I would believe, you know, all of us would have to say, so what is the answer to that question? just depends on how you ask it. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, and Jesus basically says, you know, if you want to know what to do, 
And what's required, then what does the law say? Because God's law, you know, if you just think about the Ten Commandments, the law as a whole is more than just the Ten Commandments. But if you look at the Ten Commandments, it's God's standard of righteousness. And so God says, you know, what, what does the law say? And I want you to notice what Jesus didn't answer. When he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 90% of Christians in America, probably a majority of pastors have said, but just repeat after me and let me lead you in the sinner's prayer. Jesus didn't say that. He's the one who gives eternal life. If that was the way to eternal life, he'd have said, just pray this prayer, mean it from your heart. He didn't say that. He never says that. And you know, he didn't say, well, be baptized. Or you need to go to church more. You need to do a bunch of stuff. He just asked the question, he said, what does the law say? And this man quotes the law. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, answered right. If you do this, if you do that, you'll have eternal life. You're like, wait a second, I thought the only way to be saved was through Jesus. Now wait a second, he said, if you, if you can do that, you'll have eternal life. See, because the thing about the law, the law is like a surgeon's scalpel. A lot of times we think, we look on the outside and we're like, we're good. And we'll do like this lawyer, we'll justify ourselves. But all of a sudden, when you, when, when you go to the law of God and you go, oh, you know, I, I, if I was to ask you, a lot of you go, I do, I love the Lord with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind and all my strength. And like, quit your line. Apart from Christ, especially, think about this, prior to your coming to know Jesus as your Savior, if I was to say, do you love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength? A lot of people go, yeah, I love God. I'm like, no, you don't. No, you don't. You don't have the capability. We don't have the capacity there's nothing in us that can, where we can muster up to go, I love God. Maybe by your own definition. And then especially that whole, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, and all of a sudden what he wants to do is he, he wants to justify himself. And why did he ask that question, who's my neighbor? You know why? Because he had some people in mind that he felt like, I really do love these people. And so the Lord's like, let me explain who your neighbor is. And what we'll do is we'll justify ourselves if we're not careful to go, I can do what is required. I think I can do that and I'll have eternal life. There's a lot of people who try to attain eternal life through keeping God's law. And I just want you to understand, according to the Scripture, according to what Jesus taught, according to the Scripture, if you choose that route, if you're like, I'm going I'm to skip the whole Jesus thing and the cross and repentance and faith and trust in Him, I don't need that, I think I'm a pretty good person. So I'm going to go by living morally and good. And I think that if I'm moral and good and I do my best, that I'll have eternal life. Well, here's the problem with that. You know, the Bible teaches if you break one law, one law, one time, you're guilty of them all. How many times did, did Adam sin before he was cast out of the garden? One time. One time he was cast out of the presence of the Lord. He was condemned by his own decision, one decision. So if you're sitting here and you go, I'm trying to make it to heaven by being good, if you've ever sinned one time, if you've ever looked upon a person in lust, if you've ever told one lie, if you've ever gossiped about one person, if you've ever you know, stolen one thing regardless of the value, if you've ever taken God's name in vain one time, if you've even thought those things, Jesus made it real clear, then you're guilty. And because of that guilt, your sin has condemned you, and you're condemned in your sin, you'll die and you'll end up in hell. That's where you'll spend all eternity. And that's what the law does. The law brings us to a place, and that's what he was doing here with this lawyer. He wasn't telling him the way of salvation. He was bringing him to the reality face-to-face with the law. So that lawyer would come to a place and go, I don't love like that. Now what? You remember the rich young ruler? It's another book I didn't look it up. But the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he said, Good master. He asked the same question in the same way. What must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, you know what the commandments say. You know what the law says. Honor your father and mother, da-da-da. He goes through part of the law. And the young man said, these I've observed all my life. And he said, yeah, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. Take up your cross and follow me and you'll have riches in heaven. And he said, he turned, he walked away because he had these great possessions. You see, God brought him face to the face. He thought he was a good old boy. He thought he was going to make it. And God brought him face to face with the law. He was like, I really love my stuff. I'm covetous to the bone. 
And that breaks God's law. And so therefore, I'm not going to make it based upon me trying really hard. And he goes into the story. So he's going to clarify. And he goes into the story makes it real simple for rednecks. <clears throat> Y'all with me today? Said so Jesus answered said, A certain man went down. Notice where he's going. From Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance... A certain priest came down the road. He saw him and he passed by on the other side. Now, so he starts off with this priest. You know, a priest represented God to the people. This priest is coming from Jerusalem, going to Jericho. What does that mean? In Jerusalem was the place where they worshiped. He was coming from where he had fulfilled the duties of the law, the requirements of the law where he stood before the people in his robe and he spoke the word and he prayed and he went through all this stuff and now he's done with that and he leaves and he's going to the house and all of a sudden he comes up on this man who, who's, who's dying, who's in need and he looks at him and he, for whatever reason he's just like, I gotta go. Wife's waiting on me, roast is burning. You know, I did my thing. Da da da, I've already preached. Sorry about his luck. And he goes on his way. And then the next thing you see is, he said, um, then likewise, in verse 44, likewise, or 32, I can't see nothing. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, he came and he looked and he passed by on the other side. So it was a Levite. A Levite was the one who was in charge of the worship. They were in charge of the temple. They took care of everything. They said, been a mod, basically a modern day worship leader. And so he's going from Jerusalem. He just left. He probably led the people in singing. Everybody was shouting and happy. And he was up there doing his thing. Priest got up and did his thing. If we was looking in modern terms. And then all of a sudden, here they go. They're leaving away. And so what is God teaching all this? Doesn't mean that a, that a pastor and a worship leader is hypocrites. Get up off of us, all right? What it does mean is that ritualism and ceremony and religion and even living by principles cannot produce love or life. Did you get that? If you look and go, what is God looking for? He's looking for total love, total devotion. All right, so if I go to church a bunch, I get baptized, I, you know, I stand up and I preach, I give money, I do this. You know, there are some people who go, I live by principles. I'm a moral person. There are certain things I will not do. That priest was moral. That Levite was moral, I guarantee you, a whole lot more than what we are. They knew what the Bible said. They were there. They were pictured as leadership of religion. They go through their rituals. They travel that road every week, back and forth, back and forth, just like you do. You come here, some of you, every week. You go through the rituals. You go through the ceremonies. You come in and you sing. But the question is, if you want to look and see if you have what God's looking for, what happens when you leave this place and all that stuff, and you're going about back to your real life. Like some people say, this is the real world. Leave the preaching in the pulpit. Well, let's talk about the real world. Because that's what God's looking at. He's not just looking at here. The Bible says God looks upon the heart. And so the thing is, and here's, here's this is just the Bible. The way, I, the way I interpret this is if you're loveless, you're lifeless. You understand? It doesn't matter. Now, wait a second. Hold on a second. I, I prayed that prayer. Show me that in the scripture. It's not there. Look for it the rest of your life. You're not going to find that prayer. You understand? I prayed the prayer. I said the prayer. There's no prayer. There's no prayer. I live by principle. I'm a, you know, we can go, we can go to extreme. I'm a Baptist. I don't think we have a lot of that here. But, you know, and there's, there's a lot, you know, I'm a Baptist and I go to church every time and I, I live by this and I don't do this and I don't do that. And, and these are the things that I do. And I, you know, you have your certain things that you go through and it's the principles that you live by. Listen to me. You can take a car. This is old school. We used to actually build cars. That you can take an old car and you fix it up and you can go through every principle you want to on that car. Build that motor to where it's just everything's right in it. Set it in. Put everything together. All of that. And you can get in and turn the key and nothing happens. If there's no battery in it. There's no source of power. You can do all the principles you want to and build that car and it is useless as a boat anchor. You can build your life on church. 
You can build your life on your principles. I tithe. I'm there. I serve. I preach. I read. I pray. All these principles. I teach my kids these things. We live by principle. If there is no power, if you are loveless, then you are lifeless. You understand that? Because everything you look at in the Bible's teaching, everything you see in, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, everything to do with having a relationship with God revolves around God's love. God's love in me. And so when I look at that, I have to go, so, so do I have, and that's what he was bringing that lawyer to, do you have that kind of love? I know you, I know you go and you do this, and I know you go and do that, but the question is, do you love? Do you have mercy? And so they fulfilled their duties. Now, there's a lot of people here today, you'll fulfill your duties and you're going about your life. And a lot of people make excuses and go, well, you know, preacher, this is where we live. We live in American culture and we do this and that. And we'll justify all of our, all of our lack and neglect and everything. Well, I feel good. But, but all of a sudden, then Jesus talks about this person. And I want you to look at your life. I want you to look at this Samaritan. And I want to see where you're at with that, Okay. Verse 33, he said, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came where he was, and he saw him, and he had compassion. And so why did he pick this Samaritan? Well, you know, the Jews hated Samaritans. The Samaritan was a half-breed Jew. I won't go into all the history of that, but anyhow, that's what they were. And so the Jews hated him, didn't want nothing to do with him. They would not even walk through Samaria. When they went from one end to the other, you know, going from Jerusalem to Jericho, they would cross the river, go around Samaria, come back in, and they wouldn't even cross through the land. They, they thought Samaritans were dogs. And so that's the way, they, and all of, a sudden, now, all of a sudden now Jesus, what is he doing? He's bringing some humility along. He's like, let me tell you about this Samaritan. Because it's not about you being a Jew. That gives you eternal life. And it's not about you being a Baptist or a church member that gives you eternal life. And so he's like, this Samaritan. And notice that, that a Samaritan would have been despised, hated, rejected by the Jews. Nothing to do with this. But this Samaritan had something that these hyper-religious Jews didn't have. He said he saw him, he went to him, and he had compassion. The word compassion is he had mercy. And when you talk about mercy in this sense, it's not... Mercy as in, I'm not going to give you justice. I'm not going to pound you. I'm going to show you mercy. It is mercy that goes, I'm going to show you love you didn't do anything for. I'm going to show you love that you didn't do anything to to deserve. This man didn't know the stranger who was laying in the ditch. He just saw him and what he looked out of, he had mercy in him. That's what he saw him with. And so he showed him that mercy. Now you think about this. Mercy obviously had to have done a work in his heart. I think another thing Jesus was saying was, I don't care what your background is. I don't care how long you've been in church. I don't care how great your morals are or what you haven't done or what you are or are not involved in. The question is, has mercy done a work in your heart? That's the question. That's the ultimate you know, decision of whether or not you are what you say you are. He had obviously received mercy, and therefore he was compelled to show mercy. Now let's look at us. We say, I'm a Christian. A lot of us, if I was to say, why do you say you're a Christian? Well, because of, and we'll give the principles, and we'll give the prayer, and we'll give the list, and we'll justify ourselves, all these things. But the question is, have you received mercy? If you've received mercy and you've been transformed by mercy, then you are obviously compelled by that mercy. That's the way the love of God works in the Bible. And that's the whole point of the law. The whole point of him telling this lawyer and everybody who was there listening to that was to bring the lawyer to the place to go, I'm not that kind of neighbor. I don't have that kind of love. Now what? And Jesus is saying, you know what you need? You don't need to ask me the question, what shall I do? You need to ask the question, what do I need to inherit eternal life? Because eternal life is not about what you do. It's about what you need. And until you recognize you need mercy, you'll never cry out. You'll never seek out for that mercy. Because you see yourself as good. And you ain't. And neither am I. And here's the thing. You say, how can I, so how can I know that mercy has transformed me? Well, the first thing I would do is, I start off and go, who's the main character of this story? Who's the main character of this story? Most of us will go, well, it's the story about the Good Samaritan. Then mercy hasn't impacted our life. 
you'll know that mercy has impacted your life when the main character is the one who's laying there in the road that needs help. You know why? Because all of a sudden, this, this, this uh, Samaritan lost sight of himself, and all he saw was the one who needed the mercy. Mercy opens my eyes to see others and take my eyes off of myself. And so all of a sudden, he looks and he sees. And a lot of us say, well, who is this man? Does he have a name? The Bible doesn't say he has an, a name. Well, mercy changes his name. Because at one point in time, Hopefully, you were his name. One point in time, this man was Randall Reeves. So how do you figure that? Because I was robbed and beaten by the thief who took away my robe of righteousness, smitten by sin, left dead. Nobody cares. Religion walked by me. Godly so-called people walked by me. Never to consider. You know why? Because they don't have... What I needed at that point in time. And here's the thing. Jesus all of a sudden is a picture of that Samaritan. Despised and rejected by his people. Hated by his people. But Jesus saw me. And he came to me. And the Bible says that this, this man poured out the oil and the wise picture of his blood and his spirit. By his blood he poured out for my sin. His spirit poured into me. He carried me. He gave everything. You'll, you'll keep reading. And it says he took him to the end. He took care of him. And he told the innkeeper, I'm going away. I'm going to leave you money. And when I come back, you take care of him. Whatever you need after that, I'll pay for everything. Jesus paid for everything in my life. You know, when I look at this story, I go, either mercy has done a work in you or it hasn't. And if mercy does something in you all of a sudden now, think about this. This man was left there, and, and he didn't have anything to offer this guy. So why in the world would he, this man puts his life in jeopardy. He could, you know, he didn't know if thieves were still around or not. He did everything for this man. Why? Because obviously somebody had done that for him. Maybe not in the exact same way. But when I look at my life and I go, and I would challenge everyone, you say you're a believer this morning. How is it that we, who, who name the name of Christ, and we say, I was a wretched, hellish, godless sinner. If you hadn't admitted that, you're not saved to start with. When you look at your life, look at it in reality. I was talking to somebody this week, and I'll just throw myself under the bus. Somebody said something about, you know, I don't even remember what it was said, but I said, those people have no idea. What I would be like if I didn't know Jesus. I said, I wouldn't just talk about somebody. I'd come to you and spit in your stinking face, cuss you like a dog, beat you if I could. I mean, just, you have no idea what I was able to do. As far as just, who cares? I don't care what you, if I didn't like you, you would know I didn't like you. And don't sit there giving me those sneer looks, because you got it in you too. You got the capability to hate beyond measure. I had it. I promise you this. I wouldn't give a flip about any of you. I wouldn't waste two seconds to give you any thought whatsoever. Now, I had a natural love for my wife and kids. Some people who was kind to me would be kind to you. But if you did something wrong towards me, I could hate you beyond measure. You say, Brother Randy, you're so wicked. Wicked to the bone, people. Wicked to the bone. And some of you have your own wickedness. You could come to church and sit here and smile and sing and pray. And you could go on about your life and think the same things and watch things and look at things and you're just as wicked as I am. Everybody's got wickedness. It's just our own form. But here's the point. I go, people, you know, and I don't know you. I know Nathan a little bit. I knew a little, a little bit about Nathan. I'm going to throw him on the bus with me. Nathan was wicked to the bone. Wicked to the bone. Didn't care. There's some of you asking here, Willie was wicked to the bone. I know Craig Bruce, he's wicked to the bone. Wouldn't give you a thought. But you know what? Because God showed me mercy. The only thing that changed me was mercy because maybe it was after I saved, but as I look back in reality on what I was and what I was capable of, I was like, man, God, I, I should be in hell. I should be. I deserved hell, boy. I have no idea. I would hate to see how it turned out in the years to come. I could be so ugly and hateful to my wife. 
Now, when you look at yourself like that, and here's the thing, I'm not that way anymore. For some reason, I love you, morons. Amen. I hope you love me. And we'll try to do anything for anybody. I want to help people. I love people. I want to share Jesus with you. Take a lot of stuff I wouldn't have used to take. There's some church folk, not in this church, but other church I pastor where I'd have put five in the face quick back then. Now I'll take it. You know why? Because mercy's done a work in my heart. And here's the thing, I'm not, I'm not a brawler, I'm not saying that, but you know what I'm saying? Hate does all kind of stuff. Hate does all kind of stuff, full of hate. And if we're God's people and mercy's done a work in you, there ought to be a therefore in your life. You know, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you offer up yourself as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now think about this. God never asks anything of you until you receive from him. He doesn't demand. He gives, and then he says, now share. And the whole first 11 chapters of Romans speaks about God's grace and his goodness and his love and his mercy towards us and how we are saved through that. Bear with me. He goes through there and he talks about that we're saved by grace through faith, God's mercy, all of these things. And then in chapter 12 he says, Therefore, because of all of this mercy, by the mercy of God, all the mercies that you've received in your life. When you look at your life and you sit there and go, Man, I'm, I'm glad I don't have a marriage like those people because my marriage is good. The only reason your marriage is good is because Jesus. If it's good. The only reason that, that you look at other people and go, well, I'm glad that I'm not poor like them. The only reason you got a good job is because Jesus can take it away that fast. That fast. You understand that? That you wake up in the morning and you have a life and ability. That your kids are not in prison like some other people. Don't, don't get snide and judgmental. The only reason your kids might not be in prison is because maybe Jesus influenced their life. And, that's, and if he hasn't, they'll probably end up there. All right. And so when you look at that, the Lord said, therefore, because I've done all this for you, because I went to a cross and I shed my blood for you, you hellish sinner, I loved you and I made a way that you didn't have anything to do with. Therefore, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. You see, mercy transforms your heart and your life to be like the one who gave you mercy. You notice, I'm going to skip real quick. You notice verse 37, he goes through this whole story. And he says in verse uh, 36, So which one of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And this lawyer said, He who showed mercy on him. Notice what Jesus' response was. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. Mercy transforms your heart and your life to be like the one who gave you mercy. So do you show mercy like Jesus? Are you more like him every day? Because if you've received that kind of mercy, you say, well, you know, I, yeah, I didn't need that much mercy. Then you're self-righteous and you're probably lost. But when you look at what God demands and all of a sudden we don't get what we had coming because of what Jesus did on the cross and he showed you mercy. If you've been changed, you've only been changed by mercy. And so in that, that means that I should be more like the one who showed me mercy. Because here's the thing. Once you receive that mercy, now you're no longer a victim, but you are a victor. You've overcome by the mercy of God in your life. God's raised you up. Just like this man later on. You know, he got, he got the fire beat out of him. He's left on the road. He's mostly dead. Nothing left there. All of a sudden, this man comes along. Sees him, this man's out. He ain't got nothing to do with this man. He goes over and he ministers to him. He gives him the oil and the wine and he bandages wounds. He uses that medicinally, all right? Picks him up. He doesn't, he sets him up on his own beast or his, his donkey, whatever it was he was on. He walks, he sacrifices himself. And I want you to see this because there's a lot of times where, where, you know, and the Bible says plenty about giving and, and, and that kind of stuff, but, but here's where I'm at with giving. There's a lot of, a lot of preachers who spend a whole lot of time preaching on giving and provoking to give and, and begging the church to give. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about time and, and money and, and all these different things. Okay? But here's where I'm at with that. Nobody was out there with that man going, you know what you should do? You know what you ought to do? You know what the Bible says to do? 
He didn't need nobody to say, you take out what's yours and give it to this person you don't even know. He gave of his time. He sacrificed and put his life in a situation that could have went bad. He gave of his possessions. He gave of his comfort. He gave of his wealth. All of that he did. You know why? Because he was moved by mercy. You know the craziest thing? And I'm not preaching on giving, but I'm just going to say this. You know, people always get uh, all up time when you talk about giving. I don't need nothing you've got, neither does God. It's the principle. This is the principle I want to make. The church should never have to be provoked or prodded to give anything, much less beg. Church shouldn't have to beg people to serve. Pastors shouldn't have to spend time begging people to do something, to get involved, to be here. If we're a people who says we were sinners, lost, hell-bound, on our way, half dead and fixing to finish up, and then all of a sudden, Jesus intervened in my life because he saw me, he loved me, he showed me mercy, he raised me up, he clothed me in his righteousness, he carries me to where he wants to be, he fully paid everything in full, he poured out grace and goodness, he blessed me in my life, he brought healing in areas to where I had no idea I could be healed, he changed things I had no idea could be changed. All of those things have happened in my life, hopefully yours, then how in the world is it that you could receive that and go, I ain't giving anything. Please answer that question to yourself. How could you say that? So, well, you know, it's my money. It's my time. It's my talent. It's my ability. What's the, what's the least I have to do to make sure I have eternal life? He became a giver. And so in that, the church, you know, here's the thing. Mercy pours out. Mercy pours out. I'll be honest with you, and I'm, I'm almost done. I'm going to be done in five minutes. I'll be honest with you. Actually, you know, I've been studying, and, and, and I don't, I study no giving. I thought, it's, it's November. And so if you're here and you're, you're a visitor, let me clarify something. I've been here 20 years, almost 20 years. I may have preached two messages on giving. Okay? So don't stand out there. Some people get an attitude like, preacher, I always want your money. I ain't asking for your money. Don't need it. I work and have a job just like you. And I'll work as hard as any man who wants to work. Promise you that. So don't, don't mistake it that the preacher wants or needs anything you've got. I have a provider. He takes good care of me. I just wanted to clarify that, you know. So here's the thing. Giving is not something you should be. And I thought, you know what? I don't want to just stand up and preach on a principle of giving. Principles all the way through the scripture. Read it yourself. What I want to do is I want to look at the heart. And again, I'm not just talking about money. There's a whole lot more things that need to be given in this church than money. It's a very, very giving church. I could take up a love offering this morning. I've done it many times on a Sunday morning. Go, we have a love offering. We never tell anybody who it is. We have a family in need. If you want to give to that, usually we'll take up somewhere between $1,500 to $2,000. People give in this church. They don't give because who it is or the certain situation. They give because they've been impacted by mercy. But there's other things I think we need far more than money that needs to be given in this church, in Cedar Creek Baptist Church. A whole lot more than money. Because here's the thing. Has your heart been transformed by the mercy of Jesus? If it has, who are you loving as yourself? Finishing up. These are, I've got about three questions and I want you to think about this. If you're sitting here and you say, the love of God has totally tra- radically transformed my, my heart, my life. I have received his mercy God's Spirit's in me. And Jesus said, then love your neighbor as yourself. So who are you loving as yourself? Now listen to me. Here's what we want to do because we've been trained this in America. Well, this evening I'm going to go over to Walmart. I'm going to walk down in those woods where all those tents are. I'm going to kick the whiskey bottles aside and I'm going to go and, and I'm going to go give them people some water. If you want to do that, that's fine. But some of those people don't think they need mercy. You understand? We don't have to do. We don't have to go across the ocean. That's what we want. We want to pick out certain. I'm gonna go over to people living under the bridge. They need mercy. You know that road from Jericho to Jerusalem sometimes is from that back there to this up here. You don't have to go outside across the ocean in the world find people who ain't got clothes who need mercy. There's people between me and Kevin in the back who who need mercy. 
we got a church full of people who need mercy. So it looks like everybody here's got money. It ain't about money, people. It ain't about money. It ain't about just clothes. It ain't about what you can see. There's people in here whose lives have been wrecked. There's people here who are lost. There are people here whose marriages are falling apart. There are people here who've got hurts and pains that you, you have no idea. And you know why you have no idea? Because you do your duties and you go on about your way. And sometimes what we do is we walk past those people every Sunday. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. Hey, hey, hey. I got to go because I, I got things to sing, things to preach, stuff to sit and listen to. Let's get this done so we can go on about our business. And we, we see and we pass right by. Chances are you don't know half the people that you're looking at this morning, much less what they need in their life. You know what church is for? Church is for loving your neighbor. Who's your neighbor? They're sitting all around you. So I don't like you. It's making me feel uncomfortable. Good. I hope it stirs you. I hope God's mercy in your life stirs you. Because you've been here and you go, well, I don't have no marriage problems. Good. Use the mercy that God's given you to help somebody who does. I, I, you know, I, I am saved. I have received mercy. There's people here who probably need the same mercy that saved you. And you have an opportunity every week. I don't care about the ceremony. I don't care about the time, obviously. I'm to a place in my ministry where I go, I don't care about the American style of church. I don't care if you stay or go, if you want to know the truth. I want people here who love God with all of their heart, all of their soul, all of their mind, all of their strength, and you want to love your neighbor as yourself. If you don't want to do that, there's 150 churches in Anderson County you can go to and do your duty. You understand? And I'm not saying that privately and arrogantly, but what I am saying is there's things on the line here that are eternal that's far more important than me getting to China King by 12 o'clock and watching the Dallas Cowboys win another game. All right, there you go. I had to do that. I can humble myself, all right? Go Strohs. That's where I'm at, all right? Now, let's get back to the But what I am saying is here. Why are you going to go to church your whole life? Sit in here and go through your duties. And when you stand before the Lord, him go, I brought, I brought so many opportunities for you. You didn't have to go out and look for them. I brought them to you. They're sitting here. You know how easy it is to get to know people? You just walk by and go, hey, Randall Reese, what's your name? Travis. Travis, all right, Travis. Good to have you here. You remember here? Yeah, I've been here 30 years. Never met you. I've said that to many of you. You know, you know what I'm at? It's Okay. You get to know Travis a little bit, you start coming, you start talking. We should have a fellowship here to where we know each other, we, we love each other, we trust each other, we pray for one another. All of a sudden, you know a person has a need. It's okay, this to me, if you're sitting here and you're lost today, it's okay for you people who are saved to reach those people before I do. I'm going to try to beat you to them. I promise you that. But you as an average church member can witness somebody who is an average church member and bring them to Christ just like I can. That's what you're here for. You know, I, I, I've, I've, done, I've talked to somebody. And here's the thing. If you walk with the Lord, the Lord's going to show you this is the person I want you to talk to. There's a person here this morning that I'm going to talk to. You know why? Because hurt is all over their face. And God's like, this is what church is for. Even if you, you know, forget the preaching. You know how powerful it would be? So, yeah, yeah, we'll get out of here earlier. You know how powerful it would be for us to show up on Sunday? You know what we're going to do? We're going we're gonna to sing a song to the Lord because he's worthy of that. We're going to gather up and we're going to start praying. We're going to pray for everybody around us. And then we're just going to go to people and we're going to be like, tell me what I can pray for you about. To, it, it, imagine what it would do. You're like, well, I'm not comfortable doing that. Get over yourself. Mercy takes the eyes off of you. Get over yourself. Quit being the victim. There's a lot of people. You know why that is happening? Because a lot of people come to church and they're the victim. I need, I need, I need. You need mercy and you get your eyes off yourself. And you need to start looking at other people and loving other people and investing in other people. Did you ever see Jesus go, you know what? I, just, I need, I need. He never said that. He said, I didn't come to be ministered to. I come to minister and give myself a ransom for sinners. The other thing is, you know, there's another road. It's not just from the back of the church to the front. There's a road that gets neglected. It goes from one end of your house to the other. You know, sometimes we put our duties in at church. We amen and we do those things. We know what the Bible says about being a husband and the wife needs mercy more than anybody else. And it amazes me. Get this, it amazes me. Husband and wife, either one. It amazes me how <coughs> we will we'll go to a perfect stranger and we will pour our heart out. We'll do that. We'll serve. We'll give. We'll do whatever that person. And then we come home and your wife or your husband is laying there half dead and you just pass on by. Pass on by. 
and you think that because you're doing something with somebody who's holding up a cardboard sign that God's like, whoo, well done. But what about the, what about the kid who never gets attention? What about the husband that you're not forgiving? What about the wife? Who, who, who needs time and, and just an ear to talk to, and you don't have time for that. I know a lot of preachers' family, mine's not one of them, but I know a lot of preachers' family who fell apart because they were so busy reaching all the strangers, and they passed by the ones in their home. So here's the thing. If mercy has not changed you, then you need mercy today. But if mercy has changed you, who will you share that with today? So that's a hard to swallow message. Yeah, I'm still, I got to have some water with it. And I'm still working on it myself. I've worked on it. I've wrestled it all week. You know why? Because I'll just tell you, there's a lot of times where I just do my duty. I study my, I study my Bible. I pray. You know, I get my stuff together. I want to teach a, a great lesson or preach a great message. I want to I do these things. I go through it, you know, and, and I do the whole thing. And then I start back over on Monday. And next week, the same thing. Start back over on Monday. And, they, and I look up and I've gone weeks, months, to where I've never really poured my heart into anybody. So you're so wicked. Pray for me. But I don't think I'm the only one in that boat. Who's that person in your life right now? Do you have somebody you're like, I need to show this person mercy? You have somebody who hasn't even apologized to you. That you have bitterness and hatred in your heart towards. As a child of God, we have that, don't we? Amen? And you're withholding that forgiveness. God's like, didn't I forgive you? Didn't I forgive you when you didn't deserve it? Some of us need to show mercy today in this building. And we need to restore relationships And we need to go home and we need to restore relationships. And we need to choose to forgive because we've been forgiven. We need to choose mercy that's impacted our life. And you go, I just can't do it. Then you need to search your heart and see, have I really received mercy? Am I really a Christian? Or do I just go through the principles? About as good as I can do this morning. When you stand with your head bowed and your eyes closed. Lord, I love you, and I know that things we read in your word really hard on us sometimes, God. But I thank you, Jesus. Lord, we can't love like that, but through you, with your love in us, we can love with all. And God, we can forgive no matter how horrific somebody's treated us. We can choose to forgive because we possess that mercy. And God, we can love people who are unlovable. And we can have a broken heart for strangers we don't even know. God, I just just pray about the heart of our church. I don't care about how many people are here. I don't care how nice the message was or how good the singing is. Lord, what I do care about is when you look at our heart, that we have your heart and that we love you that we love each other and that we love people who need mercy. And I pray, God, that mercy would do a work this morning. Every self-righteous person here, God, who's trying to justify themselves in your eyes this morning, God, I pray that they would stand at the foot of a bloody cross. You would shake loose all that righteousness and all that churchy business. God, we'd be a people who recognize how desperate we were when you came to us. Let it humble us, God. Transform our hearts to be a people who love. And that we do that, Lord. We don't just say we have it, but God, we go and do likewise. Lord, change us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.